very deep. Out to right. Gone! It's the Sports Fan Show with Anthony Gumont. It's a Monday night, August 28th, 2023, in the University of Nebraska podcast studio and Anderson Hall. Uh, week zero of college football is complete, which means college football is officially back. It's a great time to be a football fan, and the NFL is also coming soon. So great time, to, like I said, to be a football fan and also just a sports fan in general. But let's get right into the Week Zero recap. Let's do this! All right, Notre Dame offense destroys Navy 42-3. to It's the final score. Sam Hartman puts on a show in his, in his Notre Dame debut. He threw 19 of 23 for 251 yards. Four touchdowns, no picks, QBR rating of a 97, 97.9. And Audric Estime, I think that's how you pronounce his name, 16 carries, 95 yards for a touchdown. He also put on a power show in that first quarter, at least. I kind of stopped watching the second half. Like, I think it was it was 28 nothing at halftime, and I'm like, this is no longer a game at all. And we, me and my uh, a friend Quas that we were watching at the time, his Last name is Quas, Josh Quas. He's a bowler here at the University of Nebraska. Him and I were watching it, and we stopped. We stopped watching it halfway at halftime, and didn't really care. I almost fell asleep in the third quarter. That's how bad this game was. Uh, but Notre Dame puts on a show in Ireland last year. Nebraska was and Northwestern was playing at this game. Northwestern uh, pulled off the win there, and then Jacksonville State, their first ever game as a. Uh, FBS school, they moved up to the Conference USA, pulls off kind of an upset, if you kind of want to say this. Uh, they were playing UTEP, final score 14-17, to 17. Uh, but hey, first game, first win, and you're undefeated in the FBS, you're now the most all-time winning percentage team in FBS history, so way to go Jacksonville State. UMass pulls off the upset against New Mexico State, 41-30, scoring 28 points in the fourth quarter. UMass puts on a show at like goes on the road to to Mexico State. What a game that was! San Diego State couldn't get the ball rolling uh, dominantly over Ohio, twenty to thirteen. Ohio had chances to win the game; they could not pull it off. Their starting quarterback, uh, I believe, he probably retore his ACL um, in the first quarter. He went to he dove to or like not dove he ducked to pretty much. Escape a sack, but then turn around and got sacked afterwards. And uh, I think he tweaked his knee. Louisiana Tech survives Florida International University 22-17 to with scoring nine points in the fourth quarter to overcome the victory there. And then Hawaii couldn't get the job done against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt uh, with a 14-point um, show in the first quarter. Hawaii almost attempted a comeback, getting 14 in the fourth. Could not get it done. 35 to 28, your score. Vanderbilt moves up to 1 and 0. And the last game was a scare at halftime. At halftime, it was 14-21 USC against San Jose State, but a dominant 35 point 35 point performance in the second half between Caleb Williams and company. USC cruises on to win against San Jose State in the second half, but. The guy I want to talk about with USC is Zachariah Branch. I've only I saw this like just a little clip of him, and his st- if you look at his stat lines, they're not the great. He had one carry for 12 yards, 
He had four receptions for 58 yards, which is second next to Todd Washington. But his return is what shocked what shocked me. One one kickoff return for 96 yards for a touchdown. And this kid's a true freshman. This kid, I this kid's gonna be quite electric for USC. And Zachariah was a seventh overall player and the number one receiver in the 2023 recruiting recruiting class, according to 24-7 Sports. Clocked in at a blazing 10.33 seconds in the 100-meter dash. And he also ran track in high school. That goes to show that he can be completely dangerous, both in the returning game and as in the receiving game. This true freshman, he's going to be the next. He's going to be a replacement of like Jordan Addison, who went on to the NFL draft. Branch comes into an electrifying place at an electrifying time for USC. Caleb Williams trying to like redominate, or he's trying to put the league on notice as he has last year, but he's trying to do that again. This time, though, he's looking to win back-to-back Heisman's to be the one of the only two players, or if he does win the Heisman again, he'll be the second player in history behind Archie Griffin from Ohio State to win two Heisman's. Herschel Walker uh, could have done it, but he didn't. And, but yeah, Caleb Williams, he's the Heisman front runner this season, and it goes to show. Um, the biggest topic I want to get into a little bit this morning, or I guess this night, but depending on when you're listening, it could be this morning or this afternoon or this night. The biggest team that probably disappointed me, I will probably just say San Diego State. Like, this team last year, they were uh, pretty. Pretty prominent to win the Mountain West last season, but couldn't do the, do it. And they could have blown it many, many times. Jalen Madden, or Maiden, 17 to 27, 164 yards, two touchdowns. Not a very good quarterback rating of a 34.4. And only 145 rushing yards for the whole team in general. When Ohio, I mean, C.J. Harris just had to pull it off himself. I mean... Curtis Rorke, I believe that's how you say his name, 8 for 10, 75 yards. He had a pretty good game until he got hurt. But C.J. Harris had to pull it, had to try and do the job pretty much on the fly. He had three picks, though, 18 for 41, so not a much better job. But he, at least they got the ball rolling a little bit, like San Diego had a fumble. Uh, but those three, intercep- three interceptions really cost them that game. But I think it... If a team like San Diego State, if they're trying to make noise in the Mountain West, you can't do it against a MAC school, especially like Ohio. That's going to end up midway, almost mid of conference every single year. You got the ability to have some dominance. And like I remember uh, me and my roommate at this time, or my roommate, we were, uh, we were, he was kind of watching the game a little bit back and forth and going back in his room. I was mostly watching it. And he, he listened to the commentary and he says, How can they have a pure, do- like, they say they have a scary offense. Heck, they're only up like 16 or 13 and 6 at this time. Like, And then the one player for San Diego State that kind of stepped up in a big way, at least in my opinion, and he's probably going to be a really good uh, old-conference player, in my opinion, Mark Redman. He played a phenomenal game. Uh, he had the two, two and only touch, or he had the two and only touchdowns. From Jalen Maiden. He had five receptions, 62 yards for two touchdowns. 
and they had to kick two field goals. So San Diego State's got to find some way to get the ball rolling here this th- into the next week. They will play Idaho State, but then they go into UCLA. So that's going to be a pretty big game uh, for them. They need to try and find some way to at least somehow dominate Idaho State or say, hey, we need to get our focus into gear and we need to do a lot better this next week because this last week it was almost, it was not a good game whatsoever. Next game I want to get into a little bit more. Um, Hawaii and Vanderbilt. I mean, this this game was almost almost a toss-up. Like It was just like you, both these teams are relatively equal. Vanderbilt's normally last in the SEC. Hawaii's, like, they're not bad half the time. But you look at this game, and granted there's weather conditions going on, but it was it was almost like a heavyweight fight. Like, there's just one blow after another after another. And if it wasn't for Hawaii not scoring in the third quarter, they probably could have won the game. Like, Vanderbilt scored 14, then 7-7-7. Hawaii goes seven seven zero then fourteen. If they had another seven there, we would have gone overtime, and Hawaii probably probably could have won the game. This was such. It wasn't even a like it was a close game to watch, obviously, but it wasn't much of like an intense one. I thought I thought there's more like week zero besides probably the build up to Notre Dame and Navy. All these games felt like high school games. I remember watching UMass and New Mexico New Mexico State. Like the attendance was not there. The fact, like the facility just didn't seem like it was in the college field. Granted, this is New Mexico State, but every single one of these games just felt like a high school game. Like it, it just felt no energy whatsoever. But I mean, Hawaii could have gotten the job done, but Vanderbilt, this is, you know, last year Vanderbilt started 2 0, and they could do it again this year. They face Alabama A and M. They could go two and zero again this year, and then they go to Wake, and then they go at the road to Wake Forest, and they go at the road again again against UNLV until they get into conference play. Hawaii, on the other hand, they go on the road or they stay at home against Stanford. That is also a winnable game for Hawaii, and they play UA Albany at home again, and then they had to go on the road at Oregon, and then once again they're. And in the Mac or not the Mac, the, the Mountain West with San Diego State, New Mexico, San Jose State, where Hawaii could actually probably win the conference. They have a legit shot to win the West Coast Conference. I mean, New Mexico State, we thought they were probably the conference champions. They lost to UMass. I mean, is San, San Jose State going to do it? I don't know. That they held up with you again, again with USC in the first half, but they couldn't do it in the second half. Wyoming, I don't even think they have a shot. So this is almost like bottom tier of a power five versus a top tier of a of a group of five. And it just shows that group of five can hang in with any power with not just any power five, but like probably the lower tier of a power five. But we also see Cincinnati hanging with Alabama when they're in the playoffs two years ago. So players to watch uh after the week zero. Uh, number one is Sam Hartman from Notre Dame. He, I remember scrolling on Instagram and hearing people say out loud that like already gave the Heisman to Sam Hartman. I'm like, hold on, let's just see what Caleb Williams does. Uh, but Sam Hartman, once again, he put on a show in front of the whole country. 
uh, first game ever of college football, at least this season. And once again, just put on a pure dominant show. 19 for 23, 251 yards, four touchdowns, and no picks. And he absolutely shredded that Navy defense. But once again, this this Navy, not, you know, the buildup to this game was definitely good. It was definitely worth it. But then once the t- the once Notre Dame scored their first two touchdowns, is like the Navy can't really do anything about it with that triple uh, triple option offense. And then the second player, Audric Estime, ninety five yards for sixteen carries. Last year, he had nine hundred and twenty carries for Notre Dame, and he had one hundred thirty five receiving yards. I remember saying, remember hearing that like the commentators. It was Jason Garrett and Noah Noah Eagle, is that his name? Anyways, like they had Notre Dame had their three power back uh running back room last year. Uh Chris Tyree was in that room. He moved to wide receiver. And Audric and Audric Estime, he's he's gonna be really good this season. It's definitely good to have a an opponent like Navy for Notre Dame to go up I mean against Tennessee State and then at NC State. You know, these build-up games to which the game they're looking forward to later September is when they play at home against Ohio State. You know, last year, Notre Dame kind of got screwed over a little bit when they had to play at when they had to play at Ohio State, first game of the year of the Mark and Marcus Freeman era. You know, I mean, that, that was just a tough place, and it turned out Ohio State was a playoff team, and then they had to turn around, and then they eventually lost to Marshall. People were even saying here at the at the University of Nebraska that I attend to that Marcus Freeman is probably should be fired right away. He's 0-2. He has no prominent coaching record and no coaching history, I don't think, at this point. And people were saying that he should already be fired. Well, then Notre Dame turned the clock around. They finished 9-4 and and got to a bowl game. Well, now with this start against Navy, you're getting those build-up games for the Ohio State team which, in my opinion, probably isn't going to be as dominant as years past. So, then on to the last get play, or last few players. We already talked about uh, Zachary Branch, but Caleb Caleb Williams uh, once again he had another kind of flawless night. Fifteen or eighteen for twenty five, two hundred seventy eight yards with four touchdowns and no interceptions. I saw a stat line. Uh, the other day that said USC quarterbacks with four with four TD plus games, and Caleb Williams has only played 15 games, and ten of and ten of those he's had four plus touchdowns. That's more than Matt Leinart, and Matt Leinart played for three seasons. Caleb Williams has only been here for a season and one game, and he's already probably you can already state the case that maybe Caleb Williams might be one of the best quarterbacks ever in USC history. Uh, you you could state it. You could state it. He won a Heisman his fresh he won his Heisman his first year at USC. Matt Liner eventually got there, but it wasn't his first year. You know, he was he almost led him to the playoffs if he wasn't if if they didn't choke against Utah in the Pac twelve championship or they would have beaten Utah in the in the first place. But but of all time quarterbacks, you think of Caleb Williams right away. So, anyways, to recap, Notre Dame's offense, USC's new weapon was Zachariah Branch. San Diego State had a scare. 
UMass pulls the upset against New Mexico State. Jackson State gets their first SBS win. And then the play, so then the five players to watch, which I kind of covered, but the five players to watch based off week zero Sam Hartman, Audric Estime, Caleb Williams, Zachariah Branch, and Mark Redman out of San Diego State. Coming up next, it's now officially week one of the college football season to get the f- top five games to watch. This is Anthony Gumat, and you're listening to the Sports Fan Show. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back. Sports Fan Show with Anthony Grimaud. This is now segment number two. Uh, but back to segment number one, I had five players to watch off week zero. One of them was Zachariah Branch. I just want to say this from Tom Fernelli. He said, the way he moves in open space and makes guys miss, I got strong Reg- Reggie Butch vibes watch- watching him. This is uh, Tom Fernelli of a Cover 3 podcast. I just want to mention this off. So, Zachariah Branch... Watch out for him. Anyways, we got a week one. We got five week one games that I want to cover up. That I think, in my opinion, because I'm a sports fan and I give sports fan takes. So these are my top five games to watch this, or at least for week one. Number one, I think it's clearly obvious. This is an 11 o'clock game, Colorado versus number 17 TCU. Uh, this is first game. It's 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 a big game, obviously, because of Deion Sanders and his first game at Colorado. At wow, can't talk as Colorado's coach. He was twenty-seven and six at Jackson State. So, a little bit of interesting facts though about Colorado. Uh, last season, they were one in eleven. Their only win to Cal uh, was scores twenty to thirteen. They finish in the bottom five in the rankings. Bottom five. They're 128th out of 131. Uh, their coach, Car- Carl Cordell, was fired after five ge- after five weeks. And then the intern coach, Mike Sanford, went 1-6 before they made the hire of Deion Sanders. They're 15.4 points per game, which was a bottom four offense in the country. And their defense, 44.5 offensive points per game, ranked dead last in defense. So Dion comes in. He's like, all right, this is not my load. This is not my team. I'm going to bring in my own luggage, and I already have these slots figured out. Brings in 51, 51 transfers, 56 outgoing transfers. So he pretty much changes the whole entire roster. Uh, 24-7 sports had as the number one transfer class of 2023. Uh, they only had six to the year prior in 2022. Some no- notable names he brings in Travis Hunter and his sons, Shiloh and Sodair Sanders. Shodair is the quarterback, and Shiloh, I think, is a defensive player uh, for Colorado. This is going to be a very interesting team to see how these transfers fit in this role. What are we going to get from Dion at Colorado? You know, he was pretty good. He was a really good coach at Jackson State, but I mean, with an, that being an F an HBCU school, they didn't get a lot of coverage versus like Colorado will this year, and then now coming into the Big Twelve next year, they'll get a lot more media coming their way. 
Uh, but the biggest question I have for Colorado is, can they improve more on that defense? We we know that they have the offense with Shadair Sanders and Travis Hunter, who are already somehow in the Heisman watch. But we look. But if you look on spring tape, on spring ball, you notice that there isn't really a lot of defense talk about. You see receivers wide open. You see him miss tackles. You see him, you know, breaking that large run. The quarterback's not contained. Is how can the defense handle situations this year? Because they're in the Pac-12, and Colorado isn't going to have a very easy schedule. You know, I think I have them going four and eight this year. Some people say they're yeah, they're going to be totally good. They're going to maybe even win the Pac-12. Well, let, let's take a chill pill for a second. Okay, this is his first year. Brings in a whole new roster. And everyone's talking about Travis Hunter and Shotter Sanders. No one's talking about defense whatsoever. So how can the defense, who's ranked last in points, and at least in offensively points per game, what improvements did they do to get better? And, they're play- and then TCU, uh, they come in this game 17th nationally ranked. They are the they finished 13 and two last year. Uh, they were. Obviously, in the national championship last year, which they got blown out by Georgia, and then they lost in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 championship to Kansas State, uh, 31-28. But they did beat Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. I remember I was in Atlanta at the Peach Bowl, which is the Ohio State Georgia game, and they had the on the big screen. They had the Michigan TCU game going on. Any any th- any good thing TCU did, the fans were cheering because they didn't want to play Michigan, obviously. Uh, but that was kind of fun. TCU is now under second-year head coach Sonny Dykes, who was hired from SMU two years ago. And ninth best, ninth best offense in the country of 38 points per game, 29 offensively offensive points allowed per game, which is uh, it's thir- it was 31st is where it was. So not great, but like at least they had an an offense that brought up to it. But now here comes the trouble for TCU. And all these guys, they lost to the NFL. Max Duggan, Quentin Johnson, Javiris Hodges, Tomlinson, D. Winters, Condre Miller, Steve Oliva, Dylan Horton, and Darius Davis. All these guys gone to the NFL. Transfer, not very active, but they got some big names. Trey Sanders from Alabama is a running back. And Chance Nolan from Oregon State. Uh, they te- or 24-7 gave them number 11 in uh, their transfer class. So the big, biggest question for TCU this season, or at least coming into this week, who's going to step up with the absence of the most one of the most prominent offenses last year? You know, you lost your quarterback, you lost your starting running back, you lost your starting wide receiver, you lost lost one of your best corners, lost one of your best line, linebackers, one, lost one of your best linemen. So who's going to step up from literally a whole entire offense, at least? Who is the big guy that's going to step up? Um... And will it be an impactful one, or is it going to be a week by week one? We don't know yet. I got TCU in this one. It's not. Going to, it's going to be very, very close though. But in my opinion, TCU is going to get the job done here. Next game, uh, Boise State going on the road against number ten Washington. Boise State last season finished ten and four. Uh, they finished twentieth in the final AP poll. Uh, this is the third year under head coach Andy Avales. Last year, they lost to Fresno State in the Mountain West Conference Championship. That's also a team looking this year to be prominent in the Mountain West. Last year, they finished undefeated in regular season, but they couldn't get the job done in the championship game, losing to Fresno State. 
They did beat Fresno North Texas in the Frisco Bowl. And then last year, their defense was more of the story than their offense. Their offense, 29.5 points per game, 58 out of 131, and then ninth, only 19.5 offensive points allowed, which is top, which is 15th. So top 20 defense last year. Uh, 85th recruiting class or transfer class, and according to 24/7 Sports, nine incoming transfers with 17 outgoing. Uh, Taylor Green, the quarterback's coming back. George Holland, or Holini, Holani, I believe. I don't, even, I don't know how to say his name. Sorry, George. Uh, but he's returning. DJ Scram and Rodney Robinson on the defensive side are returning. Those are really two one of the big, their big tacklers. The biggest question is, can Boise State repeat their re- success? I think they absolutely can. It's just, it's going to be very hard now with playing Washington your first game. For Washington, on the other hand. Under, last year, under first, first season head coach, Kalen DeBear from Fresno State. Speaking of which, that's kind of ironic. Uh, last season, finished 11-2 and two and finished 8th in the final AP poll. Missed the Pac-12 championship because of losing to USC. Uh, but they, they did beat Texas in the Alamo Bowl. That was actually a really good game to watch. Uh, they top 10 offense once again, ranking 7th with 39.7 points per game. And 25.8 offense, or, wow, I can't talk. Allowed points per game. I'm just going to start saying that. Allowed points per game, which is mid-tier of 58. Uh, They have 10 incoming transfers with 21 outgoing transfers. They rank 46, according to 24-7 sports. Uh, Their big returners, though, I mean, Michael Penix Jr., he is arguably a Heisman candidate already. He had a phenomenal year at Washington. I mean, he had a really good year at Indiana, but then he got hurt. That next season transfers to Washington. Has a really, really good year. Can he repeat that? I think he can. But also at the same time, the Pac-12 is almost one of the most dominantly quarterback um, and group in the country. You know, because you have Caleb Williams, the Heisman, um, the reigning Heisman winner. You have Bo Nix, who, my opinion, last year could have been a finalist, should have been a finalist. But he lost some big games. They couldn't get it. You know, you do have Michael Penix. Now you have, uh, which we'll get into later, DJ Ugalalele, you know, from Clemson. He's going, he's now at Oregon State. And then you still have Cameron Rising. Like, those are arguably top 10 quarterbacks in the country right now. And they're all belonging in the Pac-12. So it just depends. Can Michael Penix lead the group? Can they lead Washington this year? I think he can. But he's going to need help from Cameron Davis and Rome Adunze. I think these guys, and then also Jalen McMillan as well on the defensive end. But I think Washington is going to be one of the most dangerous teams to watch, but also they could be one of the most screwed up teams in their in their conference right now. Because I think the Pac-12, if you look at the top five teams, they can easily all be in the in the Pac-12 championship. It's just hard to believe that now after this year, we're probably going to no longer have a Connect Five, we, or a, we have a Connect Four after this season instead of a Pac-12. But you know, it's the way things are. But Washington, it's going to be a very, very electric team to watch. And I actually think they do get the job done against Boise State once again. I think it's going to be a very close one. This one is very, very underrated. This comes in. Um, I think think this is a... Actually, don't quote me on this. I'm not going to say when it is because I don't want to spread the false rumors. But well, I think Washington gets the job done. And their biggest question, and the biggest question, at least for this week or this season, is... Like I mentioned, can Michael Penix 
Jr., can he be the guy that gets them over the hump and finally at Pac-12 champions for arguably the, um, the final season as, as a Pac-12 conference? So, yeah, I got Washington in that one. Next game, number 21, North Carolina goes on the road to South Carolina. The border border rivalry. I'm glad they're having this game. North Carolina last year uh, finished nine and five, which is I think they were they were receiving votes, but they never but they didn't finish inside the final 25 AP poll. They lost in the ACC championship game to Clemson, and then they lost in the Holiday Bowl 28-27 to Oregon. Uh, Barely a top 25 offense of 34.4 points per game and then 30.8 allowed points per game. That was actually, believe it or not, a bottom 30 for North Carolina, finishing at 102 out of 131. Uh, the big impactful players, obviously Drake May. People are saying he could arguably um, be a number two pick because I think Caleb Williams, if he goes to the NFL, which more likely he probably is, uh, that Drake May is probably the number two quarterback in the quarterback class this upcoming year Elijah Green Josh Downs on the offensive end and then Cedric Gray and Power Eccles the top two or one of the top tacklers on the team last year they were turning as well Uh, they're under the fifth season of Mark Brown actually when I was doing the research about this I didn't know Mark Brown coached at North Carolina before he moved to Texas and then he stopped coaching at Texas at 2013 in 2013 and then finally re-picked up coaching at North Carolina in 2019. So my question is for North Carolina, this is probably the whole year thing. It's not a week-by-week week thing. It's probably the whole year for North Carolina. Can Drake May lead North Carolina ACC title? He almost did last year, but can they do it again? I mean, you have Florida State now. They're making a run. Clemson, they're always still going to make a run. Is Miami going to be prominent again? Who knows? Is, is he like... North Carolina State going to be any good this year? We don't even know with the ACC, except Clemson and Florida State are probably the top two teams in that conference. But North Carolina, they can easily make a shock or they can easily make a bus. Which then comes into my next question for them. Is this a make or break year for Mark Brown? Uh, they have they haven't really been much pro- they haven't I shouldn't say much prominent because they made the ACC championship game last year. But I think with a tot- with conference title hopes on the line, you're ranked 21st now in the country for a reason, probably just for Drake May. But Mark Brown, he hasn't, I mean, losing to Oregon in the, ho- in the Holiday Bowl probably hurts them more a lot. And, you know, I think North Carolina has really high hopes for him. But also now they're entering that fifth season and they haven't won a title yet. So, because I think North Carolina was actually a top 15 team at one point before they started losing towards the end of the season. But is this a make-or-break year for Mark Brown? The, the southern part of the border, South Carolina, last season last season they finished 8-5. and five. They finished 23rd in the, AP, in the final AP poll. Third season under Shane Meemer. Uh, they lost in the Gator Bowl to Notre Dame, however. Uh, 32.2 points per game, which is 40th in the country. And 28.8 allowed points per game, which, once again, kind of in that bottom tier, they ranked 88th out of 131. Uh, income, They have 11 incoming transfers, but they also have a lot of hurtful transfers as well. You have 
Jaheim Bell, who went to Florida State. Marshawn Lloyd, who was the team's leading rusher, he went to USC. And then Jordan Birch, uh, I think he was, was either he was a receiver or one of the tacklers. I should have put this on my on my notes, but he went to Oregon. And so, with a lot of those hurtful, especially impactful players like a Jaheim Bell or Marshawn Lloyd, you got to replace those guys some way or somehow. And they have Spencer Rattler coming back. They do have their, um, yeah, they have Nick Emamori, and they have Marcellus D- Dial. You know, those guys played really big roles last season. But the biggest question for South Carolina is what type of team will, are we going to be getting this this year? You know, I think la- part of the reason why South Carolina was ranked so, or they were ranked despite having five wins or five losses is because of their wins to Tennessee and Clemson. They blew out Tennessee because Tennessee did not have they they Tennessee did not have Hen Hooker. He got hurt during that game, and Clemson kind of just played awful until the ACC championship. Then they lost to Tennessee. But so they had those those type of wins where they show they were prominent good teams, but then also they lost to teams like Missouri and Florida. Who Missouri went six and six, and Florida barely made a bowl game this year. You know, I think if it wasn't Florida, Florida beat Utah, good for them. But they had some ugly, ugly losses last year. So, what type of team we're going to be getting for South Carolina? I actually think for this week, for this particular game, since it's at home at South Carolina, I'm kind of high on the South Carolina team this year. I think they beat North Carolina week one. I think. Coming into an environment like this, college game day is going to be here. The students are going to be are you know back from school. This place is going to be really really high. They're playing their northern their northern enemy, and it's the border or it's the battle of the Carolinas, and the South is going to win it this time. So I got South Carolina beating North Carolina. And then the final game, this one comes on a Sunday. It's a Sunday night. Probably uh, game day should be here, but you got to keep it on a Saturday. So number five, LSU Tigers facing number eight, Florida State Seminoles. Last year, the Tigers had a complete turnaround season under uh, Brian Kelly. They finished 10-4. and four. They finished 16th in the final AP poll. They lost to Georgia badly in the SEC Championship, but, I mean, Georgia showed all year that they're that they are the most dominant team in college football right now. and But they smoked Purdue in the Citrus Bowl. I think it was the same score as the National Championship. I think it was 65-7. Um, top, 20, top 25 offense with 34.5 points per game. And then uh, they ranked top 35 in defense, 22.5 allowed points per game, which ranks 34th. Uh, 14 incoming transfers. But th- these names for these incoming transfers are... So helpful for this Tigers team, and yet, and then they have also 14 outgoings. So they seriously, like, regarding position, but at least when you're looking at just numbers, at least they filled in, you know, everyone who left. That according to 24/7, they are the number two uh, transfer class. But the biggest names that stood out to me when I was looking at this online is cornerback Denver Harris, who came from Texas A&M. Uh, he was arguably the number one recruit in the country, I think even just last year. I think he was last year's number one recruit, and he went to A&M. But obviously, A&M, we all know how that went. 
Denver Denver Harris is a stud, and he's going to do such good things on that defense. And speaking of which, another corner from Ohio State is J.K. Johnson. You know, when you have an a lineup a lineup that good, and already you're adding on that defense Harold Perkins and Greg Penn the third. This defense is going to be absolutely packed, and it's going to be scary to watch this defense play. And also on top of that, they had line, they had added linebacker Amar Spites from Oregon State, who was actually his Oregon State leading tackler. So you you look at these three guys, and these are the most impactful transfers coming into this. That's probably why they're number two behind Colorado, who had all those you know fifty one transfers that came in. When you look at this team, it is so well rounded. It is so full of talent. And you're still having Jaden Daniels at quarterback. You still have Josh Williams in running back. And you still have Lick Neighbors. These guys played pivotal roles last year. And then, like what I said, you had you have Harold Perkins, who was, you know, unanimously the best defensive player in the country as a freshman last year. He arguably could be could win the Heisman this year. If he puts up enough numbers, he could be in the conversation for a Heisman if it, the Heisman wasn't a popularity quarterback award. But Harold Perkins could is easily a Heisman finalist. I I I completely agree with that. So when you, if you're if you're Brian Kelly and you're in a close situation, what are you trusting more in? Are you trusting more in that offense or are you trusting more in that defense? I think, in my opinion, I I have to, I don't even know. You know, if you train, if you get these guys going. On, on the offensive side, if you get them going, you get the ball rolling, obviously you're going to be trusting your offense a lot more. But there's times, arguably the, the Arkansas game last year, they they almost lost it. They almost lost it. It was 13-10. They almost lost it. And, you know, they lost in the SEC championship. They lost to Florida State because of a, a blocked PAT. Uh, if it wasn't for a two-point conversion, they could have lost to Alabama. So as much as good as this team that's was last year with four losses, with adding talent, I have them at 11-1. I, I have them at 11-1. I think they even beat Bama this year. Like I don't even know how, go- how good Bama's going to be. They haven't even named a starting quarterback yet to replace uh, Bryce Young, who's been arguably the probably the best quarterback in Alabama history, probably behind A.J. McCarron. It's... It's just so. It's hard to not say LSU can make the playoffs this year, knowing for these type of transfers, for knowing these guys that they recruited, for knowing the talent that they're returning. It's just the biggest question for them is who do you trust more, the offense or the defense? That that that's seriously the biggest question I have for them. It's not Brian Kelly because he showed last year he had probably the biggest balls in history to go for two uh, against Alabama, and you got it. You know, he, he's not afraid to take criticism. The guy's been doing this for a long time now. He, he's he's going to go out there and he's going to do Brian Kelly things. You might not agree with it. You might do. I don't. He don't care. He's going to go out there and he's going to try and figure out what what way it can make the team win. And picking up these guys, it helps him a lot more. So, but just watch out for LSU this year. We might be talking about them a lot this season. The other team you might talk about a lot this year if they can actually stay pro- if they can stay prominent. Is Florida State? Florida State finished ten and three last year. Finished eleventh in the final AP poll. Uh, they're under their fourth season under Mike Norville from Memphis. Uh, they beat Oklahoma in a very close Cheese It Bowl, very very close. Uh, top twenty offense and a top twenty five defense 
36.1 points per game, which is 16th, and a 20.6 allowed points per game, which is 21st. You know, they have 12 incoming transfers. Granted, they have 22 outgoing transfers, but they, according to 24-7 again, they ranked number six in the class. And what we talked about, and we talked about this guy earlier, Jaheim Bell from South Carolina, he was a really good tight end for the, for the Gamecocks. But coming and now coming into a system with Jordan Travis to now actually give him a weapon to throw it to. I mean, he he does have Johnny Wilson, but like and you, and but then adding more weapons, it adds more. Like it, it just adds more. What adds more ammunition to your weapon, if that makes sense. Your weapon here is Jordan Travis. Your ammunition, the guys you need around him to make him work, is Jaheim Bell and Johnny Wilson. And you do have Trey Benson back, and you do have Jamie Robinson and Tatum Buffin on the defensive side. So, but and then on also on the defensive side, you're adding Fentrell Cypress from Virginia, arguably one of the best corners in the ACC. He's staying in the ACC for Florida State. And then Darrell Jackson from Miami, he's also staying in the ACC for Florida State. So the biggest question then for Florida State is, can Jordan Travis and the offense repeat the success? Because last year, I think they finished, or last year they finished 10-3, and but then the year before that, they finished like 7-6. and So... Can they keep the uptrending rise to eventually probably only have a one loss? Or actually, if they do beat this LSU team and they go on to, let, let's see, let's even say they lose to Clemson, but if, if they win the Pac-12, are they in the college football playoff? I don't know. Jordan Travis is already a Heisman on the Heisman watch list. He's, a, he's above Michael Penix. And I believe Michael Penix, honestly, he could win the Heisman if he plays at the same level he did last year. But Jordan Travis and the offense have to repeat the success in order to stay relevant in the ACC. I have them going 10-2 and two this year. I think they do win the ACC. So then this leads to the next question. Can they win the, can they win the ACC? And then can they actually get into the college football, college football playoff? Well, to do that, because we're still in the four-team system as of right now, and who knows what we'll see next year, see if the committee... Still wants to say with his twelve teams, six the six conference, whatever format this is gonna be in twenty twenty four. Is so the four team format, in order for Florida State to get there, they have to one win the ACC. But let's go back, actually. Number one, they have to beat LSU this week. They have to beat them this week in order to make the college football playoff. And then two, I think they have to beat Clemson. As well, they could probably lose, but it has to be like probably no less, no more than three. And they have to win the ACC. That those are the three impactful things for Florida State. They're they're in their own. You're probably going to hear this a lot, but they're in their own seat, and they can drive whatever way they want. They can drive whatever way they want, and they want to win that ACC championship. They have the guys to do it. They have the talent. They brought in these transfers. This is going to be a really good game. It's almost it's it's a good thing now that's on a Sunday. Because then you're watching your Sunday night football, and it's a college game, which every almost everyone should love college sports. And it's it's going to be so good to watch this game. I'm going to be watching this for sure. It's going to be a lot of fun. But in this one, I think I have to go with LSU because 
of the just surrounding talent they have this year. And I think it's going to be a very close one. Last year was really close. I think it can go go to overtime, and then Brian Kelly is going to pull the big ball set, and he's probably going to go for two or do something crazy that only Brian Kelly can do. So I'm going with the Tigers on that one. In the last game, this one falls on a Monday night, actually. Number 9 Clemson versus Duke. This is also ACC prominence for Clemson. Uh, last year they finished eleven and three. They finished thirteenth in the final AP poll. Uh, I didn't even know this till I was researching about the sixteenth year under Dabble Sweeney. I thought he was just hired in like ten years ago. No, he's been there longer than that. He beat they beat North Carolina in the ACC championship, but they lost tremendously in probably the most oranges of Orange Bowls against Tennessee. Uh, I remember back when I was on, back when I was on the last take. That I said, this is probably the most orange Bowls of all time. You're in the Orange Bowl, you're playing Clemson and Volunteers. Both these schools are orange and white. They, you know, Tennessee just had their orange helmets. Clemson could wear their orange helmets. They just have them all wear orange. Anyways, they lost to Tennessee. Uh, top 30 offense and 30th with a 33.2 points per game. Uh, top 25 defense and 22nd with 20.9, 20.9 allowed points per game. The impactful starter that's returning is Will Shipley, thousand-yard rusher. I thought he was. I thought he went to the NFL draft. No, he's still he's still back. The guy's an absolute stud. He's got so much power in him. He's he's kind of shifty here and there, but he reminds me a lot of like a powerful Travis Etienne. He is that good. Cave Clubnick, you know, returning uh, quarterback Antonio Williams, Jeremiah Trotter, and Jalen Phillips. You know, those guys, Antonio Williams is actually a receiver, but Jeremiah and Jalen are defensive players who, you know, were one of the top tacklers on the team. Clemson is so reliant this year on Cave Clubneck. Is he the guy that can lead them to an ACC? DJ Ukulele, you know, people are saying he was white trash and saying that he doesn't deserve the starting job anymore. He didn't do a bad job. He didn't do a bad job. And he's going to do great things at Oregon State. Arguably, he's a Heisman, he's a Heisman dark horse. You know, the, the, guy, the guy can play football. The guy can throw. He can run. It's just Clemson, I think, got somehow the pressure got to him. And then when they recruited this kid, they wanted this kid more than DJ because DJ wasn't good enough as of like a Trevor Lawrence. But Cape Klugnag, he played downright almost awful in the Orange Bowl game. And granted, Tennessee also had like had one of the best teams that they've had in recent history. But Clemson, it all comes to pin on Cape Clubneck and if he's really the guy. And then for Duke, last season, they finished 9-4. and four. They were actually the first team out of the final AP poll, so they finished technically 26. Uh, they're under now second-year head coach Mike Eklo. Uh, they beat UFC, or UCF, not UFC, wow. They beat UCF in the military bowl, uh, 32nd in both offense and defense, 32.8 points per game and 22.1 allowed points per game. Uh, they were 58th in the 24-7 uh, transfer class. And that's also one thing about Clemson. They're not very active in the transfer portal, but yet you still see them 10 and 2, 11-1, 9-3, 11-3, 10-4, whatever. You still see them in dominant prominence. Uh, 
Riley Leonard, quarterback, he's returning back. And Jalen Calhoun, uh, leading receiver, is also coming back. Duke had a pretty good year. This year, will they still be that good? I don't know. Check their schedule. Their schedule was hard. Really hard. You got to go. You, they have to play Florida State and Clemson and Wake Forest and Miami. Are, and then they, they also have to play Louisville and North Carolina State. Are, is Duke going to be legit? I, I honestly don't know. Are, so are they real ACC contenders? I don't know. We'll find this out after week one. And then we'll go from week, and then once we get into the conference play, then we will reevaluate Duke. But I think looking at this team, they returned so much, but then they had an easy schedule last year. You know, they, they play the bottom teams of the ACC last year. And what, you know, they, they didn't really play any tough teams. I mean, right now, I'm even wearing a University of Kansas shirt. I mean, yeah, they beat Kansas, but Kansas ended up 6-6. Six and six. You know, Kansas, Kansas repeated their 2008 season when they went 5-0, and then they only won one game after that. The Oklahoma State uh, Cowboys just had to screw that up for themselves, and Kansas got bowl eligible because of that. If, if Oklahoma State won, Kansas would start 5-0 and then have seven straight losses. Duke is the one that kind of, you know, actually, they if I'm saying that, they actually lost to, they actually lost to Kansas. But... I don't know, Duke is one of the most interesting teams in the ACC. So, but, and then this game, I think you still got to give it to Clemson. Will Shipley, he's going to have over 100 yards. I'm calling it right now. Will Shipley, over 100 yards right now. And if I'm wrong, I will, I can't really think of anything right now. Maybe you can answer on the Spotify poll that I uh, release when this episode comes out. So, I got Clemson and the Tigers winning against the Duke Blue Devils. So, those are my top five games. So, number one, the number one game to watch, and these are probably just based on times, but the number one game is Colorado and number 17 TCU. Okay, we've seen teams in the past that have been really good. They've ranked 17th and they lose game one. I'm not going to be even mad if TCU loses this game and I'm wrong on this pick. Colorado, if their offense is better, and TCU's defense, they're going to win. But the defense is what scares me the most about Colorado. TCU, how can you replace all those guys on offense? It's going to be a very good game to watch. Number two, Boise State and Washington. You know, Boise State has kind of, kind of been sleeping on this game. People are saying Washington could still make the college football playoff. Boise State could pull. This is a very big trap game for Washington, actually. Boise State could pull it off. They've pulled off miracles in the past. They can do it. They definitely can do it. Especially if they have their returning players and and big roles. Number three, North Carolina and South Carolina. Is North Carolina really legit? Is Mark Brown need to be gone after this year? North Carolina needs to go in a different direction with their head coach? Is South Carolina going to be any good? Are they going to be consistent? Are they going to be inconsistent? What team are we going to type of get? Type the team that loses to Missouri and Florida last year? Or are we going to get the team that blows out Tennessee and hangs on to Clemson? Number four, LSU and Florida State. LSU returning and also gaining tons of talent. 
But with talent, you know, can come diversity. Can they overcome the diversity, come together as a team, and shock the world somehow if Georgia is still undefeated and shock the world somehow to make them SEC championships or SEC champions? I don't know. guess we'll find that out after week one when they play Florida State. Same with Florida State. With these transfers, are they going to be impactful? Or is Jordan or Jordan Travis not the guy that we thought he was? Is he gonna is he gonna be a flunk? Is Mike Novell still the guy? And then number five, Clemson, Clemson and Duke. Is Kay Clubneck really the guy for Clemson? Is he the guy that can that can ride Clemson back to the promised land that they've already still been in for the past ten years almost now? It's crazy to think that they've been dominant in some way, shape, or form in 10 years. Is is Cade Klubnick as good as Trevor Lawrence, as Deshaun Watson? Guess we'll find that out. DJ Ugalale, he was almost in that picture. But people turned his back on him, and now he's going to do great things at Oregon State. And then for Duke, are they real ACC contenders, or was last season just a really easy schedule? We'll find this out after week one. So, we got a lot of good games this week. Week one of college football playoff or the college football season. A lot of games to go to, a lot of games to watch, and a lot of fun for fans and spectators. Coming up next, a little bit of fun segment. What happened on this day on August 28th? This one is going to be just a little bit of a, just kind of like a history lesson because we all need kind of history some days. This is back in the day. Hey, do you mind watering the garden? That is literally raining. Easy mistake for me to make because, you know, back in my day, we didn't have rain. All right. So in 2022, this is on this day, uh, dot com that I'm using. In 2022, a 1952 Mickey Mantle baseball card has sold for $12.6 million at an auction. It's becoming the most expensive piece of a baseball piece, like a baseball card. Uh, 2021, Los Angeles pitcher or designated hitter Shohei Otani becomes the first player in team history to reach 20 stolen bases and hit 40 home runs in a season, and which it was a win over the San Diego Padres. Say in 1967, so way back when, um, say this is some big money way back then possibly uh, Boston signs a fir- the first free agent ever uh, outfielder Ken Harrelson for a $75,000 bonus and we're going to go to the oldest recorded thing that happened today on August 28th in 1884 MLB pitcher Mickey Welsh makes record for most consecutive batters struck out to begin in a game Striking out the first nine. That's that's pretty good. Pretty good. Three innings of strikeouts. It's pretty good for Mickey Welsh. That was back in the day. Hey, do you mind watering the garden? That is literally raining. Easy mistake for me to make because, you know, back in my day, we didn't have rain. 
All right, and since we're on the topic of college football with it returning, I just thought I would give you a little bit of my predictions um, because I think it's it's just interesting to see what we all compare to. And once again, I just want to remind everybody I'm a sports fan. I give sports fan takes. So whatever I say, it's just based on my opinion. And it just goes by what I think uh, their team could be. Uh, this was also made before... Um, the Iowa and Iowa State allegations uh, for sports gambling were going on. Uh, that I will not get into on this show um, because one is just kind of it's kind of old news now, and um, we'll we'll probably get into it once new news comes in. But anyways, back to uh, sports fans' predictions. So we're gonna go conference by conference here. Uh, not gonna get too in depth with a lot of things, um, but we're gonna start with the ACC. I think I'm going to go from the bottom up. So I got Boston College, Syracuse, Virginia. And then we were talking about this team earlier. I got Duke at 5-7, and seven, uh, Georgia Tech at 10, Louisville at 9, a new head coach. I got them going 6-6, six and six, going bowl eligible. Wake Forest without Sam Hartman goes 7-5. and five. Virginia Tech is kind of interesting in my opinion. Uh I have them actually going nine and three, but five and three in the conference. That's why they're going to be seventh in that list. But once again, I could be totally wrong about this. But then a tiebreaker uh, between these next two, uh, two, three schools. I have Pitt at six, going six and six, but they're going to go five and three in the conference. Uh, NC State without Devin Leary, but they do have their their really good backup. He's really good. I can't think of the name on top of his head. I should have done more research. Uh, but they go eight and four. Miami brings back prom, uh, goes back to the way they used to be, at least this season, going nine and three. Same with South Carolina, uh, Clemson at two nine, at nine and three, and Florida State goes ten and two uh, with a loss to LSU and the Clemson. So it'll be Florida State and Clemson in the ACC championship, in which this I have Florida State becoming my ACC champion. Over to the Big Ten. We're going to start with the Big Ten West. Once again, we're going to go from bottom to top here. Northwestern, as much as they've gone through, they haven't really done a lot of their football team. If anything, they've destroyed it more uh, with a firing of Pat Fitzgerald. I got them going 2-10. and ten. Uh, Nebraska, under head coach now Matt Rule, goes 4-8. and eight. Uh, Matt Rule hasn't really started out big in his first year, but also... Uh, this is a little bit of a better situation than he's been in when he's like a Temple or Baylor. But uh, I got Nebraska going 4-8. and eight. Minnesota, I got 5-7. and seven. They lose uh, Tanner Morgan, who I was talking to with the Minnesota fan uh, in, at the University of Nebraska here. Uh, Tanner, he said Tanner Morgan was not really good. Their uh, new quarterback now is better, but they did lose Mo Ibrahim, their star running back. How are they going to replace him? And how are they going to replace that defense? I got them going five and seven. Iowa uh, transfer quarterback Cade McNamara. I got them going eight and four, finishing fourth. Purdue. This could be high. This could be high. Purdue could go seven and five or six and six. Uh, I have them third because I got them beating Iowa, so that's why they're in third place. Second place, I got Illinois going nine and three, and the, probably the big one that you're probably going to hear. Wisconsin going 11-1. They have one of the easiest schedules in the Big Ten. Uh, Tanner Mordecai comes into the quarterback. Luke Fickle comes in as head coach. It's going to be, it's going to be a new a new Wisconsin team. Something we're not used to seeing. 
but they got one of the easy schedules to do it, and we'll see uh, where it goes from there. Over on the east side, Indiana goes three and nine. Rutgers going eight and four. Michigan State going seven and five. Maryland eight and four. And then once again, these three schools are always at the top. It's always Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, or it's either Ohio State, Pitt, Michigan, or Penn State. Penn State's always at the third spot. This this year in the third spot, I got Ohio State. I don't know who their starting quarterback is. We don't know who they are yet. I'm not even sure who their star running or their starting running back is. We do know they have one of the, the best wide receivers in the country, in Marvin Harrison. He's also probably a Heisman favorite. And their defensive line is all right. You know they they do have one of the best defensive players in the Big Ten, but Jim Knowles also cost them the Michigan Michigan game. Their defensive coordinator. So. I got them going 9-3, dropping to Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Penn State, I got 11-1. They could easily, I think they can easily beat Ohio State. They have one of the most dominant offenses in the country. Drew Rowler is a guy. He, or of course he's a guy, but he's the guy, in my opinion, for uh, Penn State. I think he's going to be the next Trace McSorley. I mean, the guy's only a sophomore. He, he's going to be really good. And then obviously Michigan going undefeated 12-0. Literally not losing a lot of people, uh, gaining almost everyone back, at least on the offense and mostly defensive side. Uh, They they will have to lose Jim Harbaugh for a few games, but that that don't really matter. We've we've known that head coaches can be suspended, star players can be suspended, and they're really fine. On to the Big 12 now. This is a little bit of controversy. so in 14th, I got Cincinnati. I think losing all their transfers, losing Luke Fickle, they've really starting from the ground up. Don't know how they're going to go. I got Kansas at 13. I do not believe in the Jalen Daniels hype or um, Devin Neal hype. I, I'm going to be I'm going to be low on Kansas. I'm sorry. They 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 yes they started five and zero, but they went five and seven after that. They hung in with Arkansas with a mediocre Arkansas team. Kansas, in my opinion, isn't going to be that good. You know, I, I just don't know. And then the Big 12 is also tougher this year because you ha- you're adding those four new teams in there. I don't know. I just don't believe in Kansas. 6-6, six and six, going 3-6 and six in the conference is Houston. 4-8, and eight, going 3-6 and six is West Virginia. I have Iowa State going 6-6, six and 4-5 six, and five in the conference. BYU at 9. Uh, TCU... I have them going six and six at four and five as well in the conference. I have them eighth. Texas Tech, I sh- I could be a bit higher on them, uh, but I have them going seven and five. Baylor going seven and five at six, and then uh, the highest remaining of the new four teams, UCF at five with eight and four. John John Reese Plumley, he's a really good quarterback. He can get the job done. Uh, Oklahoma State, I have them nine and three as well. That could be a way too high, but you never know with Mike Gundy. And number three, I have Texas going nine and three. Two is Kansas State, and number one is Oklahoma. I think for Oklahoma, uh, they had a a little bit of a, you know, tra- they had a lot of transfers going to uh, USC, especially the big one, Caleb Williams, a new head coach. But I think now with year two, Brett uh, Brett's got his guys. He's you know, they still have Dylan Gabriel. They're going to be a lot more joined together and actually looking more forward now 
onto teams, and they're not going to break down as much because I don't think Brett Verbells is that type of coach. Into the SEC now, we're starting with the West. I think Texas A&M, you know, they lost a lot of transfers. I think they, I don't know how good Jimbo Fisher is anymore. I have them going four and eight. Mississippi State, I have them at seven and five. Ole Miss seven and five as well. I have Auburn going eight and four under Hugh Freeze. Arkansas, this one I'm probably a bit too high on. Uh, I have them going eight and four as well, going third. Alabama, I have them eleven and one. It's Alabama, uh, even though we don't know who their quarterback is. You know, it's Nick Saban. You can't really di- disrespect on Nick Saban like that. So I have them going at two. And then obviously number one, probably the most one of the most talented teams in the country, LSU, going eleven and one. On the east side, I have Vanderbilt going four and eight, Mizzou going five and seven, Florida five and seven, South Carolina I have a seven and five, finishing fourth. I know I said I was high on this team. I really am. I think seven and five is a generous record for them. Uh, or then I got Kentucky with new quarterback Devin Leary. Um, at eight and four, and then Tennessee at ten and two, and then Georgia undefeated as well at eight and zero. And then over in the Pac-12, uh, Arizona to, and Stanford at the bottom teams. Then goes to Cal, Arizona State, Colorado. I have them actually at five and seven. Uh, UCLA eight and, f- and then this is where like the higher teams up. So UCLA eight and four, Utah eight and four, Washington State eight and four as well, but. Washington State goes six and three in the conference instead of five and four. That's why they are five. I have Washington at four. So like Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State. All these teams finish ten and two. I think these because I think you have USC at the top. I have them at eleven and one, eight and one in the conference. But then Oregon State, Oregon, and Washington. These three teams are up for grabs. And I think Oregon State gets the job done. I think they beat both. Oregon and Washington. I think Oregon loses to Washington. Um, or I think Oregon beats Washington, and Oregon State's going to beat Oregon. I think Washington, I think they lose to both these schools because I don't I don't really know how their defense is going to hold up with an offense like Bo Nix and DJ Ugalalele. I'm sorry if, if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Also, forgot to mention, in my Big Ten championship, I got Michigan over Wisconsin. And then my SEC, I have Georgia over LSU. And this one, I have USC over Oregon State. And that's the Power 5 conference predictions. So my college football playoff bracket goes like this. Number one is Georgia. They, number one, they're going to be number one for a while, folks. We might be seeing the new dynasty. If If they win a championship, not saying that, I'm not saying Kirby Smart's going to be over Nick Saban. I think Nick Saban's number one for sure with those seven titles, just like Bill Belichick in the NFL. What I am saying is Georgia will be the next Alabama throughout the 2020s. They're only getting better. Their recruiting is also up. Their transfers are going up. This might be a while until we see a Georgia downfall. As much as I don't like Georgia, and I never liked Alabama— we might see this coming in Athens, Georgia. And I've been in a Georgia atmosphere when I went to Atlanta and went, watched Ohio State and Peach Bowl and the Ohio State-Georgia and the Peach Bowl game. I did not like Georgia whatsoever. I think I hated them more that day than any other time. But Georgia's number one. I got Michigan to number two. I think USC, if they keep this up, I have them going at three. 
And I think at number four, see, this is where things get tough. But I think at number four, man, it could be Oklahoma. It could be Oklahoma, but I don't really think so. I think what could happen is like if you have my predict, if I have somehow get all my predictions right, what it could be more than often is it would be like like Wisconsin might get in, or LSU could get in, or maybe even Bama could get in. But I think LSU could get that fourth spot. So then you have SEC championship, take a week off, then they play each other again. But then Georgia comes in. I'm gonna have Georgia, Michigan in my championship, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna give it to Michigan. I'm gonna give it to Michigan to win this title. I think. This is the year, and I've, I probably said this last year, but with Michigan returning these guys, such as J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corm, Donovan Edwards, and they destroyed Ohio State in that second half in that game. It's just, I don't even know what went wrong against TCU unless they're actually hypnotized by that dumb frog. But I think Michigan this year, Carson Beck could have a screw-up game some point. And it's just going to be very, very interesting of what this season could look like. So I have Michigan winning it all against Georgia, Georgia and LSU as my one and four, Michigan and USC and my two, three. And if I had to do my five, six, I'd probably say five is Wisconsin and six is probably Penn State, Penn State or Florida State. So, but yeah, that's... That's a call. That's a lot of information to take in, um, but go back and listen to the other previous episodes. I have one with my brothers, one with my girlfriend, and the other one with the college friend Charlie Wayne. I'm writing solo here today. Um, my name is Anthony Gumot, and this has been the Sports Fan Show with Anthony Gumot. Follow my Instagram page at the Sports Fan Show, and then uh, give us a follow as well, and give us a. Uh, suggest this to your friends. We're trying to grow this podcast as much as I can. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. And remember, guys, I'm a sports fan and I get sports fan takes. And have a good rest of your night. Nepple hit high, very deep, out to right, gone. <laughs>